Hi, and welcome to Things of Interest. I'm Sophia Prince. And I'm Serena Chen. And this week, we're going to talk about video games and narrative in games and representation in games. And so, to help us do that, because while myself and Serena both really enjoy video games, we certainly are not experts in them. And in my case, just not even that good at playing them. Um, we have Alana Cole. Alana's a doctoral candidate in creative arts, particularly creative writing, and a sessional lecturer in serious games at the University of the Sunshine Coast. She's got a really broad range of research interests um, and some really cool papers out there, but she's mostly focused on creating and analysing narratives that improve diverse representation, particularly with regards to gender and sexuality. As part of this work into diverse representation in games, she not only creates games and some other really cool stuff with Pontus Horn and the Horned Llama Studios, but is also the founding director of Queerly Represent Me, um, a resource hub and research organisation championing queer representation in games. And that's actual queer representation, not just my headcan for every voiceless protagonist I play, although player sexual is included as well. Um, we're probably going to get into the weeds shortly, I'm really sure, but just to kick us off and find some common ground, Alana, what is your favourite video game? Oh, that is not the question that I prepared to start with. <laughs> Let me buy some time by saying hi and thanks for having me. It's lovely to be here talking about representation and so on. I think my favorite game would be Horizon Zero Dawn, which is a very recent release and that I was very excited to play. It has very interesting representations of women, not so much of queer representation, which is what I spent a lot of my time looking for, but um, very interesting, excellent representation of women. So how did you get into this as an area of research? It was a little bit of an accident, to be honest. I, like you said, I'm a doctoral candidate looking at creative arts, creative writing. I've almost finished that journey. I'm basically just waiting on some administration now. So soon I will able, will, will be able to actually call myself a doctor. Same. <laughs> Yay. But yeah, basically that process took me on a research journey looking at representations of queerness in stories. And I've always loved games. I've always loved playing games. Um, and while I was doing that study, which is, um, as many people know, like a very long kind of time commitment, I managed to find some really exciting opportunities working in the game space as a writer and as a uh, journalist um, and then eventually as a teacher as well. And so because I started to get into games as a research area and as a work area and I was already doing this work looking at queer representation, I decided it was really important to me to also look at queer representation in games as well so that I could be across that um, in this medium as well. That's fascinating and a really cool journey sort of into. So I think the big thing I want to know more about is some work that you presented at the Digital Games Research Association conference recently, particularly regarding the dramatic increase in queer representation in standalone game titles since 2013. Yep. to my mind, just sort of like looking at your abstract and graph, um, it seems like a degree of this might be associated with the increase of accessibility of game creation and dissemination, along with just like the huge amount of games that are now out there. Um, and I was wondering if you could speak a little bit more to that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so at Digra last year and also at Freeplay just a couple of weeks ago, we spent a lot of time talking about 
why we think queer representation in games is increasing. And there was that very significant spike in 2013 till now um, where games being released that have some sort of queer content has increased yeah, quite significantly. Yeah, it's hard to explain just how significant that jump is without being able to see the graph in front of you. But yeah, as you would know, having seen it, it's pretty kind of substantial. There are a few different reasons that we think that happened. So partially it is just increased awareness. More people see that these games can exist and do exist, and so more people make games like that. In 2013, the Different Games Conference started in April over in the US, and so did the Queerness in Games Conference in October. There was an incredibly inclusive conference uh, segment at the Game Developers Conference, GDC, which is also huge. And the first Gamer X convention also happened for consumers in 2013 as well. So that huge amount of awareness in academic spaces and consumer spaces and industry spaces kind of happened all at once. And then at the same time, there was just more accessibility for these games, um, both in terms of making them and then in terms of playing them as well. So we had a really big spike in terms of the accessibility of game making tools kind of happening around then. Um, Anna Anthropy's Rise of the Video Games Instas came out the year before, so people were talking about accessible game making tools quite a lot. Uh, and also like places like Itch.io, which are, you know, quite open game distribution and archiving tools came out in 2013 as well. So it was this really, really big time for really positive movement in terms of accessibility and the ability for marginalised people to make and play and distribute games. Serena, jump in whenever. <laughs> I will jump in whenever. Uh, I should just mention that it's been a while since I've played any video games, so I probably will have less relevant things to say, but yes, I will jump in yeah. if I have something to say. <laughs> I mean, I've mostly been on the, like zen games kind of process so i've been playing a lot of subnautica and just games where i don't interact with people or indeed have any npcs to talk to um so but yeah i'm i'm drawing on my uh wild teenage years and subsequent slightly less wild early 20s to like really inform my questions here alana i know you've asked a couple of uh so i know like in your research you'd look into um racial diversity as well do you think that's also improved over the last sort of like five years so we look at intersectional diversity it's really important that we don't just look at queerness as something that's separate to all other types of diversity but even though we do look at that we haven't got a database and and detailed information on representations of race so um it's not really my place to mention whether things have improved there in terms of either numbers or the actual individual representations because i don't have the research to back me up there oh that's more than fair enough yeah i just seen it mentioned in some of your work as like a key concern for people engaging yeah in so we have definitely done some demographic study in terms of who our respondents are to the surveys and work that we do just to try and find out if people have varied opinions on representation based on race and whether people are interested in seeing people who look like themselves and if so in what respects whether that be racial or otherwise but yeah in terms of the actual representations that are out there we haven't done as in-depth research as we have in terms of sexuality and gender no that's more than fair enough um i was wondering what your opinion was like so for our listeners who don't know you can there are some games that you play where essentially the characters that you interact with are player sexual which is to say like regardless of the player character's gender like that romanceable characters essentially and you often see this in games like um Skyrim is probably a really good example of this where you can date whoever 
the other side of this is like firm sexualities for the player character or firm sexualities indeed for non-player characters within video games. Um, I was wondering like whether you perceive any of these as being like inherently better with regards to representation. So like whether a firm sexuality for the player character is like a better form of representation than for example non- non-player characters being player sexual. Um, so I think that there is a place for player sexuality and also for fixed sexualities. And in the work that we're doing, we kind of look at them as alternatives, not necessarily as one being positive and one being negative. When we look at player sexuality, we typically take it beyond just whether every romanceable character is interested in the player character. It also tends to come down to things like the erasure of an NPC's personal history so that it cannot conflict with a player character or a player's perceived sexuality of that NPC Um, and we also try to look at the game world and see whether queerness is something that's permitted within the game world outside of the player character and the choices that they make. Typically if there's a problem with the player sexuality of either a player character or NPCs where they're you know always interested in the player character no matter their gender Typically, that becomes problematic in other areas of the game as well. So you might have NPCs who are interested in the player character no matter what, that they have absolutely no history of relationships of any kind, and the game world itself is not particularly queer or just has heterosexual relationships and so on. Um, And all of that tends to work together so that if you want to avoid queerness entirely, you can, but if you want to be able to play as a queer character, you can do that as well. And it comes across sort of like a fence-sitting approach so that you're not upsetting anybody. So yeah, I think I don't think we can say that player sexuality on its own is a bad thing, but some of the other aspects of game design that come through when that starts to be the preference can sometimes be a negative in terms of representation because it does lead to erasure. So would you say that that's the case with like Stardew Valley? Because like I certainly, one of my favourite things about Stardew Valley is that you can date all of the ladies, but like just now reflecting on what you're saying, like there are only heterosexual relationships in that game. Yeah, Stardew Valley is like my go-to example for this sort of thing, mostly because you can play that game entirely heterosexually if you want to because all of the families in town are nuclear families and if you do end up marrying someone of the same gender, they kind of make a big deal of it at your wedding because you're the first person they've ever seen do that. And, like, I can sort of believe that if you're in, like, a a quiet, conservative town, uh, village, whatever, um, I can imagine that maybe they haven't seen that before. But, um, yeah, none of the people who are in town and who are apparently interested in dating you have ever had any sort of relationship history. And given how many apparently queer folk there are in town who are all interested in dating you, it's a little bit weird that none of them have ever dated each other. Yeah, no, particularly this was very much my experience living in Dunedin as a queer person, just like, oh yes, you appear to have dated three of my exes, thank you, (laughs) this is great. I don't know how well you'll be able to answer this, but this sort of spike in representation and the ongoing improvement, as caveated as that may be, how similar is that to the change in representation we're seeing in other forms of media, so for example on TV? Um, It seems to me that those other types of media are also increasing in terms of their representation, but a lot of those other mediums are a more mature medium, just in terms of age and progress than we are. More people have been making, you know, indie films and self-published books for longer than we've been making our own games independently on really accessible engines. So um, I don't have, like, 
like I don't have numbers or, or specifics on that. It's just based on my own feelings as somebody who consumes media. But um, it sort of seems like we're a bit behind the eight ball, but hopefully we're kind of, yeah, following along mm-hmm. in a steady trajectory as well. Have you noticed any um, trends and progressions in television and movies that's about, like it looks like it's about to happen in video games? Are we repeating some history in the video game industry? Um, nothing comes to mind, but I haven't done in-depth kind of cross-media study um, between video games and other media. So I'm sure there's something, but there's nothing that I can kind of pinpoint at this stage. Yeah, because I'd be really interested to see, as they say, history repeats, and I'd be interested to see the patterns that the video game industry goes through and the issues that it'll have to deal with and what it can learn from. Yeah, absolutely. Um, particularly as we are seeing similar similar movements in terms of independent release of games as we did with independent releases of, you know, books and writing and plays and movies and so on. Like, as soon as the ability to kind of write your own stories and put them out there became an option, the potential for marginalised stories to be put out there was much higher. So, yeah, it's interesting seeing similar things starting to come through in games. Um, have you looked very much at the – and I absolutely don't expect that you will have looked at this um, – the non-English language gaming world? We have a little, um, but people on our team are primarily English speakers, mm-hmm. so we rely heavily on our community to send those sorts of things through. So we definitely don't have kind of a entirely – cohesive um, database of that sort of information Um, and what we do have tends to be Japanese if not English um, mostly because Japanese games have been localized more in this sort of area we get a lot of you know visual novels and RPGs that were originally Japanese that were localized to English and feature queer themes but yeah there's there's few kind of obvious trends identified between non-English and English games other than like some some of the stuff that we do see a lot of is games that were originally Japanese tend to have more um, implied gay themes than our games do purely because a lot of relationships that are platonic in Japanese culture are then read as being potentially gay once they come across to Western culture if they aren't changed so then players kind of start thinking oh are these people in a relationship but they're often not okay um this is this is going to be kind of a complicated question. <laughs> um, over the last couple of years, uh, a lot of people have observed the movement towards like dads in games, and like that's a fairly understood thing that is part of like the people that are making games are getting older and having kids, and so that's what they write about because that's what they're experiencing. A lot of the stories, particularly those surrounding queer women that I've experienced, have focused on like the coming of age, teenager, like or young adulthood both like realization of sexuality development of relationships like maybe first relationships maybe first experiencing particular feelings regardless of whether they're like you know sexuality feelings or you know true love or whatever do you think that's partly to do with the people that are making these games like they're maybe younger people who are wanting to reflect on that a lot like I definitely I really love engaging with that stuff like I love Max discovering her sexuality and life is strange um I really enjoy, like, the younger sister and gone home. Yeah, your thoughts on that, um, It's please. possibly to do with who's making the games, but I also think that it is a very common theme in stories of queer people that they focus on that period of time. I think there's this interesting trope that it's teenagers who come out, um, which is absolutely not the only group of people who come out. People are coming out as kids, people are coming out as adults, uh, but there's this kind of coming-of-age story about coming out and having your first love that people love to tell because 
it puts the queerness right to the forefront. Um, and people don't know how to tell stories about queer characters unless the story is about them being queer. So I think it is partially to do with who's making the games, but I also think it's partially to do with this, I guess, easy option. People people know that that's a story that they can tell, and so they keep telling that story. And you see that a lot in young adult fiction as well. So novels have this very common trend as well, where it's all to do with that young adult coming-of-age story. Yeah, no, I read something um very interesting the other day about sort of writing of queer characters that was like, you know, how do you obviously flag someone as a queer character without having them randomly announce their identity and the response is like <laughs> have you met us we always randomly announce our identities um <laughs> and I had an experience last night where I was doing an interview and forgot to mention like my queer identity and afterwards I was like am I sick like am I coming down with something what's happening but then the other side of things where people don't necessarily pin themselves down to an identity I find uh really interesting as well so that scene for example in dream daddy um that kind of announcing of identity and like clearly signposting someone as being non-heterosexual, non-cis, whatever, um, as opposed to the more nuanced storytelling. I was wondering what your thoughts are on both of those and their functioning games and how well they Like I think with most things to do with representation, my answer is always we need all of it, Um, whether it be clear signposting (laughs) or more nuanced storytelling, because not everybody does want to stand up on a podium and say, hi, I'm queer, and not everyone should have to. And so I think having instances where characters do that, because that is indicative of some people's lived experience, is great. And I think having some games and stories where people, you know, just get on with their lives and if it comes up, it comes up, is also really important. Because sometimes you meet people and you don't realise they're queer and it comes up at some point ages later and you're like, oh, you never talk about that. Um, Because not everyone does. So I think... Yeah, having characters that just represent the wide diversity of people who exist in the world is really what we're after. It's not about kind of this ideal representation that we're going for. Here's um, a question that I have. So in your studies, was there something that surprised you about video games and the culture around it? It's a good question. What surprised you? I think maybe... It is interesting just how many AAA games, like really, you know, popular games with a lot of money behind them, have come out that do have the occasional queer character in the background that oftentimes don't get noticed and don't get talked about. You always have these games that come out and they have them as major NPCs or something and everyone kicks up a fuss about it. But um, it seems to me that there are a lot of AAA games, particularly recently, who are coming out with one or two background characters who have a throwaway line, and no one really seems to either notice or care that they're in there. And like some people obviously will notice that and identify with that, and it will matter to them, but I don't quite see the controversy around that that everyone seems to think will happen if we just start sneaking queer characters into games. That's cool, though, because it's almost like... um. A signposting of mm. a changing of the times and a society that's becoming more and more yeah, hopefully nice about these things. <laughs> hopefully, fingers crossed. Are we seeing the same the same sorts of changes in representation in Australian developed games as we are sort of like worldwide? 
Yeah, like there's definitely some really great stuff coming out from home. Um, so like we recently had Ticket to Earth come out that has a queer protagonist and it was really well received, really positive game, very well done. We have games coming out of like Mighty Games in Melbourne who are a really diverse, inclusive studio and who have a lot of people who are working for them who identify as queer and who actively took a stand when Australia was doing the vote on queer marriage. Um, so we have a lot of things kind of happening locally that are really exciting as well. Okay, that's really good because, um, yeah, the main Australian studio that I sort of know about and engage with is Opaque Media, who don't have characters yes. in their games, <laughs> but have, like, this really awesome, diverse studio. So it's like, you guys are great, but I don't know what everyone else is doing. <laughs> yeah, so, like, a lot of our studios, like, even studios like Opaque, have really great diversity and inclusion policies within them. But, yeah, unless, obviously, they're making games that have characters or some sort of narrative that can engage with that, yeah, it's, it's difficult for you to actually see that inclusivity and that diversity coming through the mediums that they're creating. My history with video games is less single-player, you know, you go through a narrative kind of games and more like the huge multi massive multi online player stuff like um runescape and dota and shit like that in your studies have you come across things around community moderation and how do we keep a, a nice community in games that's inclusive of diverse peoples and if you've come across anything interesting or useful in there? Um, so MMOs are a really interesting space because obviously they are people interacting with each other and using character creators to express themselves. Um, and in some instances that can end in harassment and toxicity and sometimes it can be a really inclusive, really amazing space. It seems in what I've looked at that typically it's like there are inclusive guilds within games that maybe have really good inclusivity policies and who look after their own. But a lot of multiplayer games overall have a lot of trouble keeping up with yeah harassment and toxic behaviors and so on i don't know if we have a good solution to that yet um and if we do i don't know why it's being hidden from every single multiplayer game that exists but there is some really amazing research that's happening out there in regards to that um, particularly in relations to how people uh, relate to character creations and avatar creation and then the performance of those avatars to other players and their avatars. Um, so there's some really interesting papers out there that it's not directly what I research into, but it is definitely something I've looked into through my reading. And yeah, there's a lot of good work being done. Yeah, because I, I think it was Rust where everyone like cracked the shits when you started going in and having a random character. A lot of white men were very angry when they started a game and were women or were non-white. Yeah, so Rust has got an interesting story because people would open the game um, and they would have just implemented the new gender patch or whatever, and so now everyone has a gender and it's randomly assigned and fixed based on your Steam identity number, um, so you can't change it. And people were basically mirroring society in terms of the harassment of marginalized groups, but just based on how people look. And so... When people were saying, oh, I don't want to be abused for being a woman, I didn't choose this, there were a bunch of women saying, neither, like, this is this is what we put up with all the time. <laughs> um, and so it's interesting, I think, that um, it does sort of have a bit of a social experiment going on, and yeah, the, what the sorts of outcomes of that are, are very interesting. I do like the idea of games being used as a place for social experiments and for sometimes scientific experiments as well, because it is like a, a little virtual community 
where there is a thing like location of where you are in the game map matters and you can do a lot of really cool experiments to see for example how viruses spread um, I think this was done in like World of Warcraft years and years ago and it was fascinating so it'd be really interesting to see if online gaming communities would be a nice way of socially experimenting with how we can you know push and pull different social levers to get to like an optimum kind of ground state an optimum state in society um, I know, Alana, your sort of other really area of expertise is accessibility in games. And, like, while colorblind modes particularly have improved a whole lot in games and, like, everyone always applauds when it's like, oh, we have this mode where you don't have to be able to tell red and green apart. It feels like other areas of disability aren't really represented a lot in games and, like, there's not a lot of help available for them. I know in Australia, of course, um, Psychonetic recently launched, which has some very good eye-tracking software, particularly for people with cerebral palsy. But just my inclination is that games, like, both lack disability representation within them unless they're specifically about that and there's also like limited ways that you can engage with games currently what is that correct at all yeah um on the note of colorblindness i always find it really interesting that that's the main focus in terms of accessibility because colorblindness primarily affects men and i I Mm. always find that kind of entertaining because there are so many other things that need to be looked at uh that affect a whole range of different people and we really need to kind of spread out um, our knowledge and not just add a colorblind mode and think that we're done. In terms of working in accessibility spaces, I typically do that in relation to accessibility for people with diverse genders and sexualities. So I do a lot of work in terms of making sure that your forms apply to people with diverse genders and you're not asking questions you don't need the answers to and that sort of thing. But I did also do a talk at GCAP last year about accessibility and more kind of broad ways. Yeah, that was what I read about, which is why I asked that question, as you can probably yeah. guess. <laughs> um, so I did that with John Kane, who did a lot of the actual hardware technical um, accessibility aspects of it, um, and then brought me on to do a lot of the more personal, like gender and sexuality focused, and also just looking at accessibility of body types and character creators and that sort of thing. Um, so most of what I know I've learned by spending time with him, spending time with uh, Jessica Gates, who is our accessibility expert at QRM, and then also with Dakota Barker, who also happens to be my partner, who um, does his research in chronic health conditions. So all of my learning is kind of uh, by standing around people who know far more than I do in that area. <laughs> so what's your what's your kind of gut feel about like the broad accessibility of games irregardless of yay color blindness um i think some games are doing well some games could do better um there's always that kind of um some games are coming out and being really great examples of this and allowing for key remapping and you know have very interesting accessibility features in terms of how you can play them, even just in terms of difficulty and audio settings and all sorts of things. And some games, you know, are not allowing keys to be rebound or are saying, you know, this difficulty is part of the game experience and no one else can enjoy it if you can't engage with it at this level. So, you know, I I think it comes down to individual developers sort of looking at what other people are doing and seeing who benefits from those things and taking some of that on board and trying to implement that in their own games earlier as well. 
Because I think Celeste is a really good example of like variable difficulty limits and that you can sort of select what you want to have on and off with regards to the difficulty. Um, yeah, like Neo Automata does that as well. It allows you to choose different aspects that you want to be part of the game or not part of the game, depending on what you're finding most difficult, as opposed to it just being easy, medium and hard. I'm very sorry. I don't have um, much to <laughs> add. <laughs> Sort of in your research into representation, Alana, like you mentioned that there are sort of key gaps in representation. Um, my gut feeling, which I suspect is correct, is that would be like predominantly non-binary characters along with Ace and Aero characters. Um, are there any games that are particularly good for those areas of representation? That so just off the top of your dome? Oh, goodness. Um... You put me on the spot again. Um, so yeah, you're fairly accurate in that non-binary characters don't have a whole lot of representation. Um, the worst in terms of not having representation though is actually intersex characters. There are basically none. There are a handful, but not very many at all. And yeah, asexual, aromantic is very, very rare. Uh, also trans men get basically nothing. There are a fair few more non-binary characters uh, than there are trans men, and even explicitly trans women. Oh. Um, but yeah, trans men particularly are lacking. So I come, I come from a background of um, sort of health sciences, and I really haven't engaged with the intersex community enough to really speak too far on this. But my inclination would be that like not everyone who is intersex would necessarily and like I mean this is such a cop-out line right like and I'm sure a game studio would be more than willing to say this about the NPCs and be like oh no you just can't tell that they're intersex like but yeah like do you think that's associated with why they're sort of worst off for representation that like people just essentially don't know how to pick up a character and be like this one is intersex now Potentially, but I think that if people think about it, they can learn, they can research, they can consult. Um, there are definitely ways of incorporating any type of identity into games. And when we look mm. at media, we need to be very aware of the fact that there are defaults in terms of representation. And if we don't define who it is that we are creating, then the defaults are assumed. And so... Even yeah. though that might not be the case in real life, in games, if a character isn't explicitly something, then they're probably going to be perceived as the default. Um, you can make a game that's about a box that you move around. It's just like a little square that you move around, and people will call the square he. Like, it's mm. it's nonsense, but people will assign genders to things that are inanimate objects. So we need to do better to explicitly make representations clear um, so that those defaults can get broken down. Yeah, no, absolutely. And um, OII is, I believe, the one of the key associations in Australia that are just very, very good with um, the intersex community and, like, represent them quite well. But, again, as not being a member of that community, I can't say that for certain. Is there any game that you think is particularly good with regards to representation? Like, if you had to sort of pick a handful and be like... These are excellent. So, like, when you were talking about the lack of representation of um, explicitly trans men, uh, Dream Daddy came to mind again, uh, just because it has the character Damien where he mentions that he wears a binder. And it's like, okay, okay, cool. I like this. Putting you on the spot one more time. <laughs> yeah, so Dream Daddy <laughs> comes to mind for me as well. Big fan of that. 
I also really like the games that Fail Better make. Um, so they have Fallen London and Sunless Seas, and they're coming out with Sunless Skies yes. as well. Um, so we've done some co consultation work with them to try and make Sunless Skies even better. But honestly, the work that they've been doing has been really amazing. They obviously really, really care about this sort of stuff. Um, so that's been cool. Even games like Borderlands, like Borderlands 2 has a lot of really great diversity in it um, and a lot of it is just kind of woven in really naturally to the to the um, storyline. So representations of queerness and um, not everyone in that game is able-bodied and there's some really fantastic women in that game and just a lot of diversity. Those are a few that come to mind. Yeah. Oh, I'm really happy to hear that you were consulting on um, Sunless Skies because I have a beta key for that. So I've been playing it sort of on and off whenever a new bit comes out and really it's just been one of my favorite things is that initially playing sunless seas of course is that like you can choose how you're referred to and there's like you know there's man and sir but there's also things like comrade and captain and just like the lack of a need to be explicitly gendered is something i really appreciate yeah um so we actually did a lot of work with um through qrm we did a lot of work with them on that opening section of Sunless Skies um, because originally there were a couple of options but we actually suggested like heaps more and so now it's expanded quite significantly with non-binary options because we were like what about all of these oh things God. which is really cool so it's it's really nice to be able to play a game and see the direct effect that you and your organization has had on that game. That's so exciting. That's I'm so like, cool. I'm absolutely gonna go and like restart my game in Sunless Skies just so that I can see that opening bit again. I'm very keen. <laughs> Is there um, anything that you wanted to touch on, Alana? Um, not really. I came, yeah, mostly just to see what it was that you were most interested in in terms of the work that we're doing. So, yeah, I'm more than happy just to kind of be answering your questions as I have been. And, yeah, there's nothing in particular that I'm desperate to talk about. So many questions. In your game creation stuff, so Constellations is the main one so far so the work that you're looking at i think is the work that i've done with my studio but i've released most of my games independently myself um so oh okay cool yeah there's quite a few on my website that have won awards and that are a little bit more uh far along in terms of like having been released that that one is not do you want to talk a little bit about your games oh no way you made self-care bot yeah i did i love self-care bot <laughs> um Self-care bot is a little Twitter bot that, like, tweets self-care tips every hour and affirmations. Oh, no way. Yeah, you made that. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Thank okay. you. I didn't realize we were talking with, like, royalty, like, internet <laughs> royalty. I wouldn't go quite that far. <laughs> so as a way of, like, managing sexuality in games, um, one of my awkwardly, like, favorite ways of dealing with that is uh, the way in that they're using Kim Kardashian's Hollywood where in the sort of opening scene you're accused of flirting with a girl's boyfriend and then afterwards Kim Kardashian, your new best friend, is like the best way to show that you weren't flirting with him is to date someone else. Who are you interested in? And then you can say like, you know, I'm interested in dating women, men, or I don't care. Yeah. I appreciated that in a game that I was not expecting that from. Yeah, yeah. What do you think that about a way of signifying sexuality yeah, like, I don't mind that as a way. I think there are many, many different approaches, and I don't think that one's bad by any means. So, yeah, I, I think that's great. I have one of the directors on our team is, like, sort of obsessed with that game, 
and some of the similar games we know with different celebrities um, and it comes up really regularly that she keeps playing these games and she's like oh no I just I just play them for like research for the for the database and stuff <laughs> and that's such a lie so yes I've heard more than my fair share of information about the Kim Kardashian mobile game and uh, yeah you know I, th- I think there are worse <laughs> things out there oh your games are gorgeous <laughs> Yeah, I'm just looking through them now. They're great. They're so beautiful. I love, I love your um, engine experiments. Thank you. It makes me feel so <laughs> calm. Hmm. <laughs> I um, opened up your work simulator. Oh yes, that's not calm. Just, that is not a calm. That's not game. calm at all. <laughs> oh my goodness. There's so much you've created here. This is incredible. Because I teach game design, I kind of need to produce things often just so that I feel like I'm using my skills and, you know. (laughs) On representation in games, sort of coming from a uh, mental health perspective, I've engaged with a couple of games. uh, So Depression Quest, of course, which is very good. Um, <laughs> it can be particularly triggering. Um, I also recently played uh, a game about anorexia that was very, very good. Shrinking Pains. Oh, by Ella Logren? Yeah. Because of the overlap with sort of like queerness and terrifically horrible mental health. Like, um, do we see that overlap also in games or do you think we sort of see more happy queer people because it's more of an aspirational thing that we want to see in media and games in terms of the sorts of representation we see a lot of a lot of our numbers come from either just a side character or some sort of npc that you don't really interact with enough to know if they're happy or sad um often they're kind of represented in a stereotypical way so you have a lot of really kind of camp men and they're indicated as being the gay men in the games more nuanced representation is becoming more common but in terms of what that actually explores it can be quite varied because it often comes from a person's own experiences so um, some of it is just informative Um, a lot of it is that coming out story but often it's not it doesn't really necessarily explore mental health but it doesn't necessarily explore the aspirations of being queer either it's it's often just retelling of experiences and sharing of experiences and the creating of community within the game making space yeah because I've, I've played through a couple of short games sort of surrounding people's lived experiences with regards to coming out and I think that can probably be quite cathartic to sort of work through experiences that weren't necessarily good in that way but yeah I'm just I play games a lot of the time to feel better about the world but I also have huge respect for video games as a way to like explore those less good experiences so like shrinking pains is traumatic to play um (laughs) but it's also really really good and like beautifully written and like beautiful to experience as well and so I'm curious I guess as to whether we will start to see that overlap a little bit more like I'm sort of torn in the sense that I don't want like sad queers to be the trope it could be but I also know like the incredible rates of mental illness in our communities and that that thing exists in the real world and that there is space to explore that within video games yeah so like I think it comes down to what I've been saying all along that we need all of it right so we need representations of happy queer people who have you know realized who they are and and are in a good place and we need to find representations of queer people who are closeted or who are mentally ill or who are struggling and 
that struggle doesn't necessarily need to be related to their queer experience. It could be related to anything. And I think, yeah, we just need all of these stories. And the more that we get all of these stories in the medium, the less stereotypical or tropey they're going to be. Serena, are you just playing Alana's games now? <laughs> no, um, I mean, the work simulator is right there now. <laughs> it is it is right there. I did um, click out of it because... I'm I'm quite stressed at the moment already, so I was like, you know what, I don't need more stress. I do have just this um, moonlight thing open, which is really nice. Um, yeah, I made that in about half an hour, just to kind of experiment with, yeah, colours and shapes. Like, I want it as my background. It's have you beautiful. gone around and, and talked to everyone? Wait, what, you can go around? <gasps> yeah, use the arrows. I've just been staring at this, like, mm, this is nice. Yep. I can talk to people? You can. <gasps> I can talk to people. Hello, Star. Hello, Moon. <laughs> this has now become a live podcast. Uh... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's play. I love that you've picked one of my nicest games to open. Like the, <laughs> the biggest game that I've released recently um, is right up the top in the top corner. It's called Aurelian, and it's mm-hmm. like – a representation of like what it is to be a woman and it's full of like all of these angry experiences so yeah i like that you've been like oh pretty moonlight <laughs> as opposed to like angry feminist game <laughs> i just picked the one that looks yeah i saw all the yellow and black and i was like <sighs> <laughs> yeah it's pretty aggressive oh this is lovely i'm feeling so nice and calm right now <laughs> <laughs> i don't know what it is about like the pixel aesthetic but it's just there's just something about it that's so wholesome like yeah, the really totally. lo-fi pixelated aesthetic where it's just 2d there's no physics engine and you just kind of like you're just this little pixel character going around with arrow keys there's just something so simple and wholesome about it that makes me feel great so all of those little pixel games at the bottom are made with an engine called bitsy that i've become mm-hmm. really addicted to lately because it is just so accessible and I've been using it to teach little workshops with students and stuff as well because you can just open it up and start straight away. Mm. Um, so I've been using it a lot lately. What's your favorite engine? At the moment, it's definitely that. Um, I love <laughs> engines that have heaps of restrictions that are like super cute and really good at like one thing that they do. Mm. Um, I'm not a big programmer. I can do some programming, but oftentimes I just prefer not to. Like if I can just sketch a game, make something silly and little, then that's what I love doing. So I use lots of different engines for a lot of different projects depending on what it is that I'm actually trying to make as opposed to using one big engine that's capable of all of it. That's, this is really cool. That's so cute. I just opened I... a tiny globe. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really keen to try and make some games now with this bit. Is it Bitsy Game Maker? Uh, yeah, so it's on Itch.io as well. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Maybe instead of writing my talk, I'm going to make some games. <laughs> yeah, have fun. It's very easy. This is... yeah. Do you do much with Twine? Um, yeah, I have done. Um, I t- also teach a class about Twine, an interactive narrative class, where we use that as our primary engine. I've like I've dabbled in Twine, but I really don't have the staying power to do a big project when like my ideas are only half formed (laughs) yep 
I find Bitsy really accessible because you can immediately hit play and there's already something there ready to go and then you can just kind of tweak and add and, and adjust and it doesn't feel like the sort of thing where you need to commit to a full story arc or mm. something. So yeah, it's definitely worth experimenting with. Oh my goodness, I'm hooked already. <laughs> Alright, we might wrap up there then so Serena can go and develop 20 games <laughs> before she tries to write her talk. Yep, I look forward to playing them. Make sure you share them on Twitter so that I can I can check them out. Will do. Thank you so much for letting us know. Yeah, thank, thanks for coming and ruining our lives, Alana. <laughs> no worries. It's what I do. Um, so this has been the Things of Episode, uh, Things of Interest episode, talking about video games, particularly looking at queer representation of video games and with a little chat about engines at the end there. It's ruined our lives. We hope it's ruined yours too. We are so grateful to have had Alana Cole uh, on the phone call with us just talking about all of her incredible research. Um, I learned a lot. I hope our listeners did as well. Um, Alana, where can our listeners find you? Um, so I'm on Twitter at Alana M. Cole, A-L-A-Y-N-A, M for Mary Cole. Um, and I'm also on Twitter as Queerly Represent Me. So Queerly Rep Me is our Twitter handle. So you can check us out um, if you want more of our kind of research stuff. Um, and you can check my personal Twitter out if you want pictures of my pet rats and also my garden. Yay. I mean, that sounds like a high quality Twitter to follow. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's like, use Queerly Rep Me if you want the, like, proper academic stuff, and then just follow me if you want cute animals. Beautiful. Yeah, excellent. Perfect. As always, you can find Things of Interest on thingsofinterest.co, on Twitter at Casting Interest, and on Facebook as Things of Interest. You can email us at castinginterest at gmail.com. And if you feel like leaving us a review, uh, if you've enjoyed this episode, if you've enjoyed other episodes, you can leave us some stars on your podcast access app of choice or you can tell a friend about us because that's how people hear how great we and our guests are so 10 out of 10 would recommend i have been sophia friends and i'm serena chin and as always stay interesting